0: If you brought a Bible, I want to invite you to go with me to the first, second book of Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 14 and verse 14. Si trajo su Biblia. I just went back into my old bilingual there. I'll just leave that unfinished. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, you can look for it on your uh, digital device there or on the screen. Is God good or what? Man, we had a blessed weekend last weekend. How many of you were part of Expand? Amen. Did God bless you? Amen. I know He blessed me. And we have had such a great time in the Lord. I have heard many good things from small group this week. As you have been gathering in one another's homes and in at the study of the Scriptures God is on the move, and uh, you and I are blessed to be the object of His divine attention and His affection. 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 14, one verse of scripture this morning, I will in, in elaborate on the context in just a moment. But the word of the Lord reads, for we will surely die and are, are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but plans ways, so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, because you are a God who speaks. The gods of this world have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have a mouth, but they cannot speak. But our God has eyes and he does see. He has ears and he can hear. He has a mouth and he does speak. And so we pray this morning that you would speak to us by your inspired word. I ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to preach the word of God with power. And I ask that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might receive the word with ready hearts and full of faith. We ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I take you this morning to a scene from the life of one of the greatest men in recorded history and one of the greatest men for for sure in the word of God. He was not great because he was perfect. Because David was far from perfect. He was not great because he was a a man who had done all the things that were required of him because the fact is that at times he did not do the things that God required just as they were required of him. But he was great because he was a man who knew how to pursue the heart of God. The Bible bears witness about David that David was a man after God's own heart. He had a tenderness toward God, which is an asset to any person and any believer who will try to approach God. There is a a tenderness in the heart of David when you see him in contrast to Saul, the first king of Israel. Saul was a man who sinned less than David did in a sense, but yet was never a man who was capable of asking God for forgiveness. He was a man who was um, bound to his sin and was unwilling to repent. David, on the other hand, could repent at the drop of a hat. He knew how to get to the place of repentance. And his life is a picture to us of many things and this morning as we take a glimpse into the life of David we really are looking at one of the most sensitive intimate and painful moments of the life of this man of God For you see in the years that have passed David had committed a sin against God a grave and grievous sin he had sinned by committing adultery and then he added to his sin by committing murder of the husband of the man uh, of the husband of the woman that he had committed adultery with and so david's uh, life became a wreckage of sin Although God forgave him his sin, the Lord told him that the sword would not depart from his house. And so soon after, trouble came to his house and it would visit him over and over again. And in one sad occasion, we see that one of David's sons rapes one of David's daughters, his own sister. This tragedy has now scarred the life of a family that sits at the top of the power structure of the nation of Israel. David, however, didn't do very well with the situation. The Bible recalls and recounts that David didn't say much at all. He, he kind of left the situation in the air. He did not... Or bring any justice or judgment to his daughter. He he allowed the thing to remain unresolved. And as you will find in life when issues are left unresolved. Sooner or later they will rear their head and wreak havoc. I think all of us today can bear witness that there have been some things in our life. That we would have much rather dealt with back then. Because they come back in a worse form and bring destruction. Destruction. When we think about David, we see a man who was a wounded man. He was a wounded son. He was a, a man who grow, grew into adulthood who had to live with the, with the rejection of his father. And now his, uh, his lifestyle has affected the lives of his children and there is Pain in the home, but it is unresolved, undealt with, untreated. It is there, festering. And And he had another son named Absalom, who you have probably heard about because of his reputation for being a rebellious son. He was a hard case, an unyielding determination to destroy the life of his father David. Absalom was a son who was like a boiling pot. He had that kind of anger that doesn't erupt in the moment. Some of you have a quick temper. You have an anger that erupts like a volcano, and once it's out, it's over. You have resolved the issues. But Absalom was not that kind of son. He didn't have that kind of anger. He was that seething, sulking, meditating type of guy. When you saw him at a family reunion, he smiled. But he was cunning. He was waiting for the moment when he could seize an opportunity. He was a devious in that sense. He was, he was not going to show you his anger all the time. But there would come a moment when the eruption would occur. And the, the damage that had been done to him as a young man would come to, to destroy his life as an, as an adult. The Bible tells us that time passed, and when time had passed, an opportunity was given to Absalom, and he found himself in a situation where he could take the life of his brother who had raped his his sister, and the Bible said that he gave the instructions for the man to be killed, and now murder again has come into the household of David. I don't think any of us here, I hope not, can imagine or have experienced the death of a loved one by the hands of another loved one. But this is the critical moment that David and his family find himself in. And when the, when the news arrives, David is told that Absalom has killed all of your sons. And David, of course, you can imagine the panic and the horror of a father receiving such a devastating news. And then someone comes along and corrects the the impression. They said, no, no, they haven't killed all of your sons. They have only killed... Uh, uh, the, your, your guilty son Ammon And he, he is dead and, and David, the Bible said that when his sons and his, his family came to him And they, you can imagine this tragic moment when the family comes together And they realize that one son is dead at the hands of another son And the scripture said that they wept together I speak this morning with families who have wept There have been moments when you have wept together. Perhaps you have wept in moments of tragedy, moments of crisis, moments of trouble, moments when there has been betrayal and brokenness that has been introduced into your family life. And we realize that we don't live in a perfect world where there are always easy going things, but rather we live in a world that is damaged, that is hurtful. And we find out that hurt people hurt people. And now Absalom is a murderer and David has exiled him from the nation of Israel. Absalom goes to take refuge in another land, the land of another king. It is so sad when the king's kids go find refuge in a foreign land. So this morning, we come to this portion of scripture where things are tender, they're sensitive. It is a a sore subject, but it it needs to be dealt with because within this tragic story is the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For you see, the Bible tells us that, that David's heart was toward Absalom. Absalom had created this tragedy in his household. He had brought death into destruction. He had brought chaos to his home. But David's heart was toward His Son. And I have to tell you this morning that there is a God whose heart is toward you. It doesn't matter the grief the grief that you have brought. It doesn't matter the trouble that you have caused. I don't care how far you have fallen. There is a God who has set His heart upon you. He has set His affection upon your life. The heart of God grieves over your soul the heart of God desires that you be brought near to him the Bible said that David's heart longed for Absalom and so I can tell you this morning that the heart of God longs for you You find yourself, like Absalom this morning, exiled from the presence of God, exiled from the place of peace, exiled from the place of joy. I'm here today to tell you that the heart of God has not changed concerning you. God has not changed His mind about you. He loves you with an everlasting love. So... A woman comes into the picture. The Bible calls her a wise woman. Any wise women here today? That's what I thought. A wise woman came to David and this woman, I believe, is a picture of the church. Because she had a ministry. Her ministry was the ministry of reconciliation. We see her here Performing the ministry of bridge building. She becomes the bridge maker between David and Absalom. Just as the church in our day has been called by God to be a bridge builder to the world. To be a place that says, hey, I know a way for you to be reconciled to God. Oh, church, you and I must be about this business of reconciliation because, you see, the world cannot be reconciled to God through City Hall. It can't be reconciled to God through the university. It can't be reconciled to God through Hollywood. The reconciliation in the ministry has been given to you and I, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. She comes to David, and she was a wise woman, and she said, Oh, King, I have a case to bring before you she says i have two sons and uh, uh, they got in a fight and when they were striving out in the field one killed the other we had a funeral and i had to bury my son and this was a tragedy but now the rest of the family wants to kill the son that killed my son and and king here's the thing if if they kill my son, then I will have two dead sons. And I would rather have a son who's a murderer than a dead son. As I was preparing this message this week, I, I was really ready, ready to go in a different direction. And the Lord said, here's what I want you to say. I said, Lord, I don't, I don't really like this sermon. Uh, it, it doesn't preach as much. He said, Isaac... I want my people to know that this is a family thing. I'm concerned about their families. I'm concerned about The relationships between husbands and wives and sons and daughters. And you see, friend, the last promise of the Old Testament is that the hearts of the fathers will be returned to the sons. What does God say in wrapping up the whole Old Testament? He says, I'm going to bring the family together. You see, the gospel, when it comes into a home, it comes to affect the entire family. She says, I'd rather have a son in prison than a son who's dead I don't know if any of you are in that situation I don't, I don't have any biological children of my own but I know a mother's love and I know the love that parents have toward their kids and I know that some of you are, are grieved by the things your children have done and maybe you say pastor you don't know my son my son adopted a homosexual lifestyle they, they chose a route that I, I was specifically against they have broken my heart I'll tell you friend yes they may have done that and they are wrong to have done it but they are still your son. You say, Pastor, you don't understand my daughter. My my daughter is addicted to drugs. She's selling her body. She's brought shame upon our family. Yes, friend, she's wrong to do it, but she's still your daughter. God is interested in family things. She said, I don't want to lose both of my boys. What have you lost? I don't mean jobs and cars and houses and and things that you gained. I mean, what have you lost in your relationships? God says, bring your case to me. This woman presents this case and David says, I'm going to preserve the life of your son. I'm going to make sure that nobody touches the boy. And then she turns things around and she flips the script on David and she says you're the man guilty of this David because you have a son that you have exiled and she reminds him that his heart is toward this boy now I haven't come today to tell you how cool and awesome Absalom is because the only thing good the Bible has to say about Absalom was that he was good looking And that his hair, when he grew his hair for a year and he cut it, it weighed more than three and a half pounds. But that's the only good thing the Bible has to say about him. He was a a, a scoundrel. But he was David's son. He is now a murderer. He'll soon be a usurper of the throne, but he was still David's son. And so I want you to note the words of this woman because they must be the words of the church in our generation. First, she says to David, she says, David, I want you to understand this. First of all, King, that we will all die. She said, David, there is a clock running on your relationship with that boy. And if you don't reconcile, the day will come when you will die and this business will be unsettled. This, my friends, is the first word God gave to us as a church in 2017 and he reiterates it again and again. You don't have all the time in the world. If you're going to make things right, make them right today. If you're going to seek God, seek God today. If you're going to forgive, forgive today. If you're going to reconcile this is the day to do it. Because you don't have forever. You may have walked out of your mama's house mad, upset. You, are, you said, I'll never come back. You packed up your kids and you went and you got in your car and you slammed the door. And you left, a, you left a, a, a smoke of ruin in that house. And you said, I'll never be back in there. And God says, you better go back before you have to visit her in a coffin, son. You don't have all that time. You don't have time to waste. You don't have time to lose. There is a a time, a clock that is ticking. Time is passing speedily ahead. And today is all you've got. So you messed up, so you ruined. So, So you said the wrong words. So you said the right words in the wrong way. Make it right today because time is passing. She said, we will all die, David. And then she brought this second thing to his mind. And she says, "And and as a matter of fact, not only that, but God is not a respecter of persons. What does that mean, preacher? That means that God doesn't show favoritism. You see, in most cases, if a man came down the aisle this morning, dressed in a suit and tie, and he said, I want to give my life to Christ, he would say, thank you, Lord. There is a celebration going on in heaven. But if another man came down the aisle who did not look the part, who did not look like he had been in church ever once before that moment, we would second guess whether or not God could forgive that guy. But you see, she said, David, God is not a respecter of persons. God doesn't forgive one and not forgive another. He is a God of grace. And mercy toward all who will come to him. He does not pick and choose who He loves, who he'll forget, or who he'll forgive. You see, God's love is not like our love. Say Amen, somebody. Our love is conditional. I'll love you if. i love you when. And God's love is not conditional. God's love is not an if kind of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, you can be sweet and you can be kind and you can be lovey to the right people. And to others, you're cold and frigid. Not God. God smiles at his friend and he smiles at his enemy. Our God does not show partiality. He is, he is a God who is willing, the Bible said, in fact, ready to receive those who will come to him. What is she saying? She's saying, David, God is not a respecter of persons. In other words, David, do you remember your sin? Do you remember that you you stayed home when you should have gone to war? Mistake number one, guys, you better go to war. David stayed home and he should have gone to war. And while he's out there on the rooftop, he looks over and he sees a woman bathing. And he starts imagining what he might do. And so he has her brought over and the man of God commits adultery. And then she sends him a little text message. Ding. He checks his messages and says, David, I'm pregnant. Delete, delete, delete. He says, you know what? Call her husband Uriah. He's out there in the war. He's doing what a real man should do. And and bring him over, bring him over here. And he says, Oh, Uriah, you know, you've been working so hard. I want you to spend some time on furlough. Go enjoy that beautiful little wife of yours. And the fact is that Uriah was a better man than David, because Uriah said, No, sir, as long as my men are on the battlefield, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna sleep on the porch. And his plot didn't work. And so now there's no way to cover up his sin. So he says, Uriah, come here before you go back to to war. Let me write you a little note for the general Joab. And he writes a note and he hands it to Uriah. Not knowing Uriah carries his death sentence. The battlefield, he gives that note to the general, and you can imagine Uriah, here he is, carrying a special hand-delivered note, signed, sealed, delivered, autographed by King David. And Joab opens the note, and it says, put your eye on the front lines where he's sure to be killed. And now he's guilty of adultery and murder. The Bible said that sin, when it is conceived, brings forth death. Conviction falls upon this man. David, who knew how to reach the heart of God, he falls on his face and he begins to cry out. And he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And he begins to repent. He was a repenter extraordinaire. And the Bible said that God forgave him. And so the woman said, David, do you remember that God forgave you? This boy... It's no different. Oh, how easy it is to whitewash our own crimes and uphold someone else's. We will pardon ourselves in a second and, and crucify anyone else. Oh, boy, it's getting quiet in here this morning. I think about a man. He was a hardcore Died in the wool Republican. And, and, you know, he said, George W. Bush said there's weapons of mass destruction. And he went to war in Iraq ten years later. Still no weapons of mass destruction. Well, you got to just hand it to the man. He did what he did with with the information that he had. And then one day, here he is pardoning a war. One day his wife comes home with a fender bender. And he about sends her to Iraq. Loses it. Because it's so easy to, to whitewash the things we're okay with and try to hold up the things that we're not okay with. But she said, David, God's not a partial God. He doesn't show favoritism to one and ignore the other. He is a God of grace. And so, friend, I'm here today to tell you it doesn't matter where you've been or where you have fallen or how, how low you have gone. Jesus Christ is your Savior. He's the only one that can save. And then she says this third truth. And she says, God devises ways so that exiles can be brought home. She said, David, God is a strategist. Tell your neighbor this morning, God is a strategist. You know why that's important? Because we panic. When God doesn't show up. But you got to remember that God plays a long game. We panic in the short run, but God is a long run God. God is a strategist, He is a planner. And, And she said to David, God will will plan ways he he devises ways so that the exile can be brought home she was telling him about the heart of God she was saying David you have to know this about God that God will work things out he'll make a way where there is no way he'll open a door where there is no door he will he will bring about his perfect plan and his perfect will I'm here today to tell you church that I don't know where you are but God does I don't know the situation you're in but God does and God is a master strategist He has not forgotten you He has not forsaken you He knows right where you are He orchestrates circumstances He coordinates circumstances Situations, he manages movements, the shifting of the wind, he structures events and time, he synchronizes your days so they harmonize with his plan. And like a master weaver, he brings in every single thread of divine purpose in order to bring you right to the place where you need to be. You say, Well, somebody just invited me to church this morning, I just happened to get up on time, I just happened to find a ride, I just happened to get to church. No, church, you didn't just happen, God happened, God said, I I'm going to draw you to myself. Hallelujah! I said God is a strategist. He works ways. You see friend, one day you are as far from God as any man could be. Far from hope. Far from the church. No idea about reading the Bible. No idea about serving Jesus. No idea about being a part of the church. But God was working in your life. God was planning. God was strategizing. God was orchestrating and look where you are now. Right dead spot in the middle of the plan of an almighty mighty God. Come on somebody give God praise because He devises me. He took people out of your life. Put people into your life. He let you get laid off and hired over here. He lets somebody push you away so that somebody could draw you near. And, and all, of the lo- all along the way, he's devising, he's planning, he's strategizing to bring the heart of the exile back to himself. Like a young man who sees a girl that he likes. Ah, she's caught his attention. He says, if I wake up at 7 and I head straight to the street corner Right about that time, she'll be crossing the intersection, and I'm going to wave at her. And I'm going to smile. And she's going to wave back, and she's going to smile. And he goes just according to plan, and he arrives at the corner just as she's coming by, and he waves at her, and he smiles, and she smiles, and he goes and he tells his buddies, things are getting really serious. So God has been standing on the street corners of your life. He has been coming to the intersection at moments when you thought that God was the furthest thing from your mind and He showed up just to smile at you and to tell you, you are my beloved, you are my child. I have set my affection upon you. Come on, somebody, give God praise because He devises means by which to draw us to Himself. Jesus, the hymn said, sought me while a stranger wandering from the fold of God. Friend, we were lost and undone without hope and without God in the world. But God devised a plan to draw us to himself. Joseph, the Bible tells us the old patriarch was sold at the age of 17 by his brothers sold into slavery. Thirteen years he lived, not knowing if his father lived or died, living with the memory of the fact that he had been betrayed by his kin. The Bible said that when the Jews see Jesus in the end times and they will see the scars in his hands, they will ask him, who wounded you? And he will say, I was wounded In the house of my friends. Joseph was wounded in the house of his own brothers. He went to to prison and he was forgotten. and, And he was isolated in that place. But God knew where he was. And in a moment, God brings him out of the pit. And he puts him in the palace. And he makes him the second in command over all of Egypt. And he stewards the nation of Israel, of Egypt through prosperity so that they'll have enough food left over when seven years of famine come. And lo and behold, the famine arrives with fierceness and wrath. And there come his brothers. Why am I preaching this sermon this morning? I don't know, but I have a I have a hunch in my spirit that God is about to bring some people into your life you don't think you want to see again. Joseph sees them coming through a long and protracted story. We find that Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers and he says, hey, I'm the guy you sold into slavery. And half scared and half remorse, they fall on their knees and they say, Joseph, forgive us. We have sinned against you. And Joseph says, don't worry about it. Not not a hint of of, of resentment, not a hint of 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 revenge. He just said, don't worry about it, guys. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for my good. You tried to destroy me, but God used it so that I could preserve your life. What was Joseph saying? He was saying, God has devised the means. Turned these things in my life into a perfect pageant of his will. You say, preacher, is that possible? Is it possible to get over the past? Is it possible to forgive and forget? Is it possible to be able to let go of resentment and brokenness, friend? I'll tell you this. The day is coming and shall come when you shall sit at the table and your enemies will eat your bread and they will drink your sweet tea and you won't have a memory of the past. Come on. I'm talking about the power of a God who is able to restore When they come back into your life, you have to be ready to say, don't worry about it, bro. Remember that money I owed you? Don't worry about it, bro. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve went astray. They sinned not only against the holiness of God, but they sinned against the goodness of God. And they led the whole world into sin and the fall and its devastating consequences consequences which we know to this day. But the moment that they walked out of the garden, God was devising a plan. He brought about a family called the Israelites, out of whom the Messiah would come. And he preserved them for 2,000 years of world history. And then in a little city called Bethlehem, Jesus Christ was born. God was devising a plan. And for 30 years, he lived in relative obscurity. Nobody knew the Son of God was walking upon the earth, but God was devising a plan. He ministered for three years with power, with miracles, with signs and wonders. Out of his mouth came words of authority and life such as the world had never known because God was devising a plan. And then the perfect and innocent son of God named Jesus was put to death on a cross by the testimony of those who lied concerning who he was and his character. But God was devising a plan. And he wept in the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, God, not my will, but thy will be done. Because God was devising a plan. They nailed him to a cross. And upon that cross, the sinless perfect son of God offered up a ransom for the sin. Sinners and the guilt of all of the world because God was devising a plan. And then he hung his head in lowly sorrow and he gave up his ghost and the Son of God died. But God was devising a plan. One day, two days, three days had passed. The sin of the world had been dealt with but the Messiah was dead. But don't you dare forget God was devising a plan and early Sunday morning the Son of the living God arose with power and with great glory because God was devising a plan hallelujah what a savior did you think you were forgotten God is devising a plan he's pulling you wooing you calling you to himself How far would God go to reach you? He'll go to the end of the world and beyond. The psalmist said, though I make my bed in hell, behold, even there you will find me. I close with this question today. Do you have any exiles? Are there some people in your life whom you have exiled in your heart? It may be a son, a daughter, it may be a grandchild, it may be a husband or a wife. You smile at them. You greet them when you see them pass. But in your heart, you have shut them out. Maybe because they did you wrong and they were wrong to do it. Maybe because they hurt you in a way that was so personal, so sensitive maybe your father walked out on you and your mom maybe your mom walked out on you and your dad maybe they said I'll never leave you and they left they said I'll always love you and their love came to an end Tonight God has sent, sent, today God has sent a spokesman to tell you God is no respecter of persons. You have to let them go. Because you see, forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. As long as you hold a grudge. You can't move on. Some of you have a grudge against a dead guy. They've been in the grave 5, 10, 15 years. You still haven't let it go. And God says, I have devised a plan for you to move on and to move You're going to have to let this go. And I'm going to give you the grace to do it. Maybe your son or daughter can't come home until you say, come on back. And I understand that sometimes we don't want to condone the things they've done, and we don't want to seem to affirm the crimes they've committed against us or against the community. But church, God... We'll deal with that. He's your son. He's your daughter. She's your daughter. He's your husband. She's your wife. And God has given you this morning a call to say, I have more for you than this. It's time to call them home. I wish I could tell you Absalom came home. He did come home. And I wish I could tell you that he was a perfect model citizen for the rest of his life. But three or four chapters later, the boy is dead. Because he refused to honor the God of his father. But see, that wasn't up to David. David had to get things right in his own heart. And when you do that, it liberates you to receive all the heart of God. So God has sent me this morning to tell you this is a family thing. When we get to heaven, it's not going to be the Baptists and the Methodists and the Pentecostals and the Presbyterians. It's going to be a family. And He wants you to know. Here's peace in in your family, your home today. Right where you are sitting, would you just bow your heads with me, please? Almighty God, your kids have come into your house today carrying baggage, wounds, from members of our own families. And if someone asked us who wounded you, we would have to say I was wounded in the house of my friends. And Today we bring our hearts to you. And we say you are the restorer. of all things. I ask that the cloud of glory would fall into this house and bring freedom and bring healing. And I pray that the grace to forgive would be abundant in this place. And we celebrate the fact that our God Makes ways so that the exiles can come home. I ask you for an abundance of grace now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? I know God has spoken to many of you this morning. I want to make this invitation to you. If you say, Pastor Isaac, I'm an exile from God I'm far from God in my heart and I want to come home today I want you just to leave your pew you know you want to come home you come home right now he stands ready to receive you I want to pray with you right up here if, you, if that's you, you say pastor that's me I need to get things right with God today don't think twice about it. Your father's calling you home. Yes, sir, come on. Come on, I see you back there. Come on. Hallelujah. Jesus stands ready to receive you. Elders, would you come? Sister Christina, would you come, please? Anyone else? The great homecoming call is being made right now. Come on. The Father's ready to receive you. Doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter how you've fallen. He says, I love you. I want you home. Elders, would you pray with these who've come, please? Come on, keep coming. I want to make this second call to the body of Christ. You say, Pastor, there's exiles in my life. There's relationships I need mended. I want you to just come into this altar. Come on, don't think twice about it. Just bring it to Jesus. Jesus. That's the first step. I don't care who did wrong. Maybe it was you. Maybe it was them. Doesn't matter. What God is interested in is healing. You say, I need to forgive somebody. Come on. God will give you the grace to forgive. This is your day. God said, This is a family thing. He brought you to this house because of love, because you're his child. Come on let's fill this room with intercession. Let the let the church be in prayer right now. If you know God has been working things out, I want you just to raise your hands right, right where you are and start glorifying God because He made means. He provided the means.